You're listening to the Nutmeg Arena by the Nutmeg Assist. Hello once again to another edition of the Nutmeg Arena podcast or the TNA podcast as we call it. In this episode, we're going to be reviewing the Europa League final as well as the Champions League final. Both crunch amazing football games. I have Chris the co-host of the podcast joining me once again today how are you doing chris yeah i'm fine rifwick fine um not a bad weekend of football was it definitely not definitely Ama- amazing game both bo- both the ones the europa league one was an absolute classic as well especially the first half we'll start yeah. with the europa league final i mean in i mean i expected inter to win it probably the scoreline which i expected was 3-2 but i thought inter would score 3 sevilla would score 2 and it would be that sort of a game but it was the exact opposite despite inter taking the lead i mean i'll just come with the layman statistics first you, you look at the setup both teams had inter played a 5-3-2 a classic antonio conte formation and yeah. sevilla went with a 4-3-3 julian lopetegui's signature one as well you look you look at the possession it was close 53% for inter 47% for sevilla both teams had equal shots on target and coming into the game both teams you know have a unique style both teams love to dominate control games that that's how both teams play i mean antonio conte's inter have a defensive rigidity or solidity like you say lopetegui's midfield loves to pass the ball quickly and play i mean both try to do that but inter had some failings which we'll discuss now but in an overall perspective how do you actually rate the game oh as a spectacle the game is fantastic i mean it's exactly what the europa league needs often seen as like the backup or sort of a secondary competition to the champions league given its profile or as a spectacle for you could not for more really i mean the first half just got up to an absolute flyer both teams scoring two goals each second half was a bit more a bit less dramatic but it still had its moments obviously especially Seville getting the uh, Sevilla get getting the winner uh, the Sanchez opportunity but yeah for Sevilla were the I thought they were deserved winners in the end I always got I always got the impression especially in the second half I always got the impression that they there was another opportunity in them similar to the Man United game even after even after the semi-final against Man United when Man United had that sort of split of chances just after just at the beginning of the second half you just knew Seville were going to get another opportunity and and they're very and they're very clinical with the ball the, with the ball if you look if you go back to the stats what, what you've just mentioned there if we're yeah into into Milan had more possession but if you look at the overall attempts on goal Seville had more so that suggests to me that they were a lot more progressive with the ball when they had it they done more with the ball and I thought that that showed a lot more on the second half but Inter Milan just didn't I don't I don't want to put me put my finger on it and say it was a lack of motivation at half time but I, I very much doubt it was the kit that 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 was the issue i just thought they ran out of ideas and it was didn't really think they ever looked like winning the game in the second half and now lukaku had that one chance and obviously goal score any goals at any point of the game change change the game if he scores that then it is a different game but i still think seville would have went on to score score another i still think they would have got back into the game as where when it was the other way around when seville scored i still didn't think i just didn't think into mama getting back in the game yeah and kandreva yeah. also kandreva also had a big chance which he like yeah. Yeah. so that was another because brosovic delivered a quick cross 
uh, I mean, a fast cross there, and he should have actually finished that. That was another big chance. And I know Inter will probably, you know, regret the chances they missed. And you look at Conte. In the first half, they had a segment where I mean, it was a game where both teams were committing a lot of fouls. Sevilla, Sevilla also one of the team who committed a lot of fouls as well. And they got Conte riled up, especially Banega, where he remarked on Conte's wig. <laughs> which is funny damn funny which for me but <laughs> yeah. you but you look at look at the goals both the team scored you look at the first goal it was an inter counter classic inter conte style counter where lukaku went with ball almost went one on one diego carlos yeah. fouled him should carlos yeah. should carlos had got a red card there not in my opinion and now and i'll tell you i'll tell you why right? for me now it's not because a clear goal scoring opportunity because of the position that he was in the area now i was listening to some of the pundits at half time say no he's got to go off there to clear red card it's a clear goal scoring opportunity well it, it isn't even I know people often to refer refer to the defenders getting back saying they wouldn't have got back but that's still just because the defenders don't get back it doesn't mean it's a clear goal scoring opportunity so I mean I think it was one of the the commentators were saying well if Lukaku then if he doesn't foul him Lukaku then takes four or five touches and he could take the key, keeper on and score. Well, yeah, that's all ifs. He weren't about to put the ball in the net. He weren't central to the goal. So no, I thought the correct to see, it was definitely a penalty. No, no, no question about it, but it wasn't a sending off. I think if you start, if that's a clear goal scoring opportunity, that, that area of the pitch, then for me in the future, any time a penalty is given for a foul, you've got to send the player off because in the penalty area because you're basically saying that everywhere in the penalty area is a goal scoring opportunity it was too far right for me to be a clear goal yes. scoring opportunity and I thought still thought Lukaku still had a little bit to do and another, another I think Robbie Savage was the, the other commentator on the game obviously you might have watched it on a different channel given the location of yourselves compared to me but he was saying well he sort of made out that well it was a sending off because it, because it was Lukaku that was fouled well it's not the sending off's not subject to the play. If it's a sending off, it's a sending off. It's either sending off because of the foul or it's not. So it, it, what are we saying now if, I don't know, Kandreva uh, goes through because he's not likely to score, it's not a sending off. But because Lukaku is likely to score, it's a sending off. Well, no, that's not the rules of the game. The rules of the game are, is it a clear goal-scoring opportunity? Yes, then it should be sent off. And for me, it, was, it wasn't. It was too far wide. He still had to come in a lot more with the ball. Yeah, that, that's a fair point. That's yeah. a fair point, mate. And that was a yeah. first goal. For the second goal, I mean, Sevilla's equaliser, basically. I mean, Sevilla in the whole game, I mean, Lopetegui, you know, he plays the style where the midfield drops in deep to receive at times. And they probably kind of overload a certain areas when they get the ball too much in those spaces and you see you see wingers actually I mean the, the wingers are very flexible the, both the wingers as well as the left back left backs not not the left back sorry the full backs I mean because yeah. they can they can come into the half spaces to create play or they can just go ahead and hug the sidelines as well and put in some really good crosses. So they're a very flexible set of fullbacks and wingers that Sevilla have. They have a decent team. I mean, you you look at the Sevilla team and you, uh, if you look at the personnel, you you would probably say, okay, this probably you when you compare it with Inter, I mean, you, you obviously have the names of I mean names with like sort of Lukaku, Martinez. Yeah. You say you might probably say that Inter have a better team, but as a unit, as a team, I think Sevilla are better programmed at this moment. And that was shown in the semi-final versus Manchester United because they kind of have this fast passing sequences where 
they kind of don't let the press actually attack them too much and that was basically shown i mean in the midfield it was basically ever banega versus masad brozovic and banega yeah. actually got the better of brozovic because each time brozovic came into press banega actually quickly changed position he recycled position you look at jordan fernando banega they kind of recycle possession very quick very 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 fast and basically providing it to the wingers as well or campos yeah. also also came into play and the first goal basically was them evading the press and i think it it was a cross from jesus navas right the first goal where uh, navas yeah. put in a great cross brilliant cross and luke de jong out of all i mean sevilla made one change they replaced enesri who started the semi final with luke de jong who scored the winner in the semi final luke de jong yeah. this season has been pretty average i mean everyone would agree with me on that but the yeah. semi final and the final he's been man two goals two goals brilliant ones the set piece again was well i mean you look at both the teams both the teams actually defend well in set pieces you look at the season as a whole they've been defending well in set pieces but in this particular game those two goals inters equalizer again which made it 2-2 which diego godin yeah. scored from marcel brozovic free kick and this the, the sevilla second goal which uh, banega put in and diong headed from the far post where kunde the center back he actually pulled the inter defenders and tried to create an overload there yeah. both the goals were i mean could have def- could have been defended better in my opinion so that that was pretty unusual as well and chris in terms of the midfield battle i know like i mean we we, we talk a lot about defense attack and stuff but i definitely I think this game was particularly a battle of the midfield because at we look at the attack Luke Tiong scored two goals but in the second half like they lacked the firepower or they kind of lacked the energy up front for Inter Lukaku was always on fire but Lotaro Martinez had a really bad game the game probably yeah, could have been good. won in yeah the game could have been won in midfield and I guess Sevilla's midfield were better than Inter's this because they evaded the press like I said and at times when Sevilla played quick passes when Inter tried to press they were quite slow to react as well and they changed formations I mean if you look at Antonio Conte he changed into 3-1-4-2 during build up at times Sevilla while defending in the second half especially had 4-4-1-1-4-2-3-1 one, 4-1-4-1 I mean they kind of defended it in different shapes at times so pretty without the ball so do you think I mean you you all you already said Sevilla deserved it but tactically speaking yeah. in the midfield did you think Sevilla probably were much better than Inter or do you think it was probably closer than what I am speaking No I mean I mean in terms of Sevilla they've they found a strategy certainly since they've come back from the pandemic that because they've been brilliant not just in the, the like the latter part, part of this competition but in the last part of La Liga as well I mean the game the, the game itself like I said the fullbacks are the key I mean the overload the field they create an overload centrally and now depending on what side is more free than the other Navas uh, the full that both fullbacks not just Navas both fullbacks then uh, they bomb forward the energy levels them too. I mean Navas now is what 34 35 years of age playing like at the same level that he was when he was at Manchester City for me. Um just not doesn't seem to age that fella at all but yeah in terms of the actually the strategic play the overload the field centrally which is going back to what you're saying like the midfield battle and the, the how they do that is whether it's Suso or Campos they can they come back in and then they have a go out wide left they go out wide right so it, it, it's very very good wing play and if you watched in the second half i don't know whether it was a deliberate attempt but because Inter Milan had the free centre halves 
depending on whether depending on what side they would go on that side that the outer center half would obviously get dragged across Therefore, it was creating gaps, but it was also leaving the centre half, the, the centre halves of Inter Milan as a two, then as opposed to a three, which then causes problems. It causes it causes problems for a back three if the back three is left as a two, and that's what Seville were doing quite well. And they weren't creating opportunities every time, but that's why you got the impression there's another chance coming here. And you mentioned Luke De Jong there, and like I said, he has been average this season. He's he's, he's by no means a prolific striker, and I think New Fa- Newcastle his spell at Newcastle shows that. But when you're when you're getting service like the, the, the Sevilla fullbacks provide, it doesn't matter who your striker you can be. You can be an average striker at best, but when you're getting the service that they provide and the quality of the balls that they provide, you're always going to have a chance of scoring a goal. And, that, and, and that's how they won the game, really, both the semi-final and this, and this game. You know there's a chance coming, and when the chance is created from them, they're prolific. And, and you've got to give, you've got to give Lopetegui credit for that. Fantastic job what he's done, considering that back in January there was question marks over his future. Exactly, mate, yeah. It basically but, is. Uh, I mean, yeah. Sorry, referee. I mean, you touched on the uh, the battle of the midfield. I think just to go back to what you mentioned, that Inter Milan did switch the formation. I don't know if it was a deliberate, but Brozovic just kept dropping deeper, yeah. especially in the second half. And I thought that I thought they lacked they lacked that impetus. Maybe someone from the midfield going dropping into the hole behind the strikers. And I don't know whether that's why they brought Christian Eriksen on. But for me, Conte just got his substitutions not wrong. They were the correct substitutions, but he waited too long yeah absolutely for me absolutely. they showed they showed a little bit more agency towards the last 10 minutes but maybe I don't know whether that was a direct result of Ericsson coming onto the pitch because I know many people will argue that he didn't really affect the game uh, obviously a combination of that being and the fact that the players know there's 10 minutes in the final on the one <laughs> they need to get another goal to get back into it but they just didn't seem to show any agency until it was too late and I think the substitution the substitutions being too late certainly put, put play the part in that. Yeah, absolutely. And you look at the XG as well. Inter had a better XG than Sevilla. Open play, if you look at the expected goals, Inter had 1.32, while Sevilla had 0.26. So yeah. that, that actually speaks volume. Set piece, it was kind of more or less the same. Just a small margin def- uh, differentiating both. But you look at the Europa League, Sevilla winning it the sixth time. It is really a Sevilla. It is like the Champions League is for Inter, uh, Real Madrid. Hmm. The Europa League is for Sevilla. So that's that's probably it with uh, yeah. the, sum, the summary of it, the Europa final. Well, and 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 the fact that it's six in fourteen years as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean that's just that's phenomenal. It really is. Exactly. And moving on to the Champions League final now. We obviously did a preview of the Champions League final where we kind of, you know, discussed and touched on all points. But once again, coming on to the layman statistics, you look at the possession stats, you would basically think that both teams might have comparatively almost similar possession. It would be almost even before the match started, but it was Bayern who dominated yeah. possession. It was Bayern with 64%, PSG with 36 You look at the fouls made as well. Bayern kind of broke up plays, a lot of tactical fouls. They took four yellow cards. But and they made com- they committed 22 fouls in the game and the setup yeah. was as usual PSG going with the 4-3-3 like they did uh, in the semis in the quarters Bayern Munich the normal 4-2-3-1 but the only change which both of us didn't expect was Kingsley Coman coming in for Ivan Perisic we were obviously gave our views in the preview podcast which we did but personally I think I thought that 
flick put on Coman because he might have thought Coman would have actually had a better 1v1 chance against Thilo Kerr. Coman yeah. had an extra bit of pace as well. But the first 45 minutes, it didn't work so well, I would say. Like, Coman wasn't really impressive. The second half, he got that much important goal. But you look at the tactics, the way PSD set up. Obviously, they would... I mean, we, we discussed this. Obviously, the plan was to use the pace of their front three and make the runs in behind. The first big chance, I think, was uh, fell for Neymar, wasn't it? Who actually, yeah, it was, yeah. That, that chance that was brilliantly saved by Manuel Neuer, who had probably a 9 out of 10 performance in the game. Maybe a 10 out of 10, but I would probably give him a 9 out of 10. Yeah. They, PSG, in my opinion, they kind of employed a quick passing strategy. At times, the midfield weren't even kind of looking up. I mean, I, I saw three, four instances where when the midfield got the ball parade as Serrera and even after Verratti came in, they weren't actually looking up. They were kind of trying to push the ball as fast as possible. And I think this was mainly because of one, one, of, one of them was Bayern's high, high line and second one because Bayern pressed so well, pressed so quickly up the pitch. And I mean, they kind of look awkward, awkward at times because they kind of lost possession a lot. They didn't kind of have a proper structure in attack. I mean, they, Mbappe had a really good chance. I mean, PSG had really good chances, obviously. Obviously. But you look at the whole game, take the whole game, you look at how PSG attacked. I think at times Mbappe made the wrong runs and kind of that, that's why probably I would say that the attack didn't have a proper structure. At times probably Mbappe could have run out, ran out wide and pulled the center backs and or at least caused a dilemma for the center back so that the center back you know, were, was forced into a situation yeah. where he, he had to make a decision on who to mark. I mean, I saw a situation where Neymar was running in and Mbappe actually ran inside instead of moving outward and pulling David Alaba out. I mean, that would have been a good situation once again. And things like that, small things like that, and especially the big chances that Mbappe got in the game. You definitely can't miss those chances against Bayern Munich. We saw that in the semi-final when Leon did it. We're seeing that in this game as well. And Bayern were pretty much yeah. dominant. So Chris, I mean, what do you think of Bayern's game? I mean, because I, I basically told how PSG is set up. But what did you think of Bayern's game? Yeah, I mean, they dominated possession. But I thought, especially in the first half, they dominated possession in the in the defensive third of the field. I thought the play was breaking up more. I thought when they, got, when they went forward, and I, I thought PSG was certainly the best of the team for the first 20 minutes. I disagree slightly with you when I think when you say Bayern Munich dominated. I think, no, I think they had the, the higher possession. Um, but I don't really think in the first half they were breaking PSG down. And that, but by all means, that's not saying PSG was set up defensively. I just think they were very undecisive and not really weren't really they weren't really getting they didn't really get going in the attacking third of the pitch. Uh, like you said, we were both we both predicted uh, Perisic to start the game and not Kingsley Coleman. Uh, I thought I thought there was a couple of times in the first half, like you said, where he, he got one on one and he, he got the run on Kirep, but. I thought it was very much going the other way, especially for the first part of the first half. I thought PSG were looking the more dangerous team. Neymar has has that chance, like you said. And I thought, as good as the first save was, I mean, you could it's gone under Neuer's body, hasn't it? So you could say that he's got a slight, slight bit of luck because I think it ricochets off his backside onto the floor and goes up. I mean, that could go anywhere. It could trickle into the night. It could bounce into the net. But I thought... The second part of it was more impressive when Neymar hits it back into play and then he stops it again. I thought that bit, because I th- I'm not sure who it was running in, 
but he would have had an open goal given you know, his position. So I thought the second save of that sequence was was the, was by far the most important one. And Beppe's chance is the one that has got to be haunting Thomas Tuchel though today and and himself because Herrera's fantastic ball from Herrera to come back inside totally caught the the Bayern defence off guard. But that type of effort there, he's got to be. He's got to, he's got to be making Neuer make a save there rather than just passing it to him. He's got he's got he's got to be. I mean, a, a chance like that falling to a player like that. If that was the you look at it the other way around and that falls to Lewandowski at the other end of the pitch, it's one nil there and then. He wouldn't miss. So I thought I thought PSG were the better team in the first half. I agree. I I agree with the Bayern Munich dom, dominate possession, but I thought most of the possession was sort of in their own half of the field. In the second half, I thought the momentum was ruined a little bit by the by the players. Don't know if you agree with that, Riff. You see, the, the the second half seemed to sort of stall because maybe the players were just sort of looking for any advantage they would get, trying to get the opposition booked. Uh, but once yeah. once buying once buying got that goal, that's when I think their dominance come. Yeah, hundred percent, Chris. I agree with you yeah. there because second half, I mean, you, Neymar was actually falling down a lot. Uh, there were che- uh, cheap fouls going on, Gnabry especially, I think, on Neymar and all. Yeah. I mean, Bayern made a lot of fouls, most of them tactical fouls to break up play and stuff. But like you said in the first half, uh, like you said, Bayern were passing mostly in their own half. But that was sort of that was sort of because PSG were actually pressing in the central areas. Even when they played yeah. the ball, ball back to Manuel Neuer, you could see either Mbappe or Neymar going ahead and pressing and because of this, the fullbacks, Alfonso Davis and Hushokimich, had enough space or they were kind of free and they, they, they could just recycle position there. So, I mean, Bayern actually, despite getting pressed, they were actually looking the better team in terms of passing as well, in my honest opinion. Although PSG, I would agree with you where PSG was a better team in the first half, but I think Bayern looked better in better control with the ball. I, I, I would definitely say that. Yeah. I mean, PSG, when I say PSG with the best of the team, they just seemed to, they weren't, but it weren't, again, they didn't dominate by any stretch. They, they, they didn't have like, I don't think any team really, apart from, I mean, I mean, we'll speak predominantly in the first half. I don't think any team dominated really, but PSG had the better chances. I know Lewandowski at the post. And Bayern Munich were getting into areas where, they had opportunities to create better chances, but they just seemed to—I don't know whether it was the wrong pass or they, they just seemed to—they just seemed to lack that, that that cutting edge. And at that point, I was thinking, oh, maybe we're going to be right. Maybe maybe this could be PSG night. But the second half came, and then I thought Bayern Munich just grew, grew it that little bit more into the game, got the goal, and after the goal, I thought that's when he definitely took command of the game I think I don't know if you've seen my tweet that I put out when I said but this is where we'll see how good Neymar really is I thought PSG as a team when that set, that first goal sorry the only goal went in I thought they lacked the composure at that point they, 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 come up, they become a, a bit ragged I know they have, they, have uh, they created one or two more chances but I thought Neymar was dropping into areas where it was just becoming completely ineffective I think he was on the edge of his own area at one point collecting the ball and I just thought they they just lacked a bit more tactical discipline to actually get into the game once they went one nil down. Yeah, and you you look at the second half as well, Chris, and definitely that goal. And I I don't think that it it was like uh, majorly a PSG mistake or fault because Thiago got the ball 
And you, you can already send some Thiago bias here because he's linked to a specific <laughs> club who I support. So, but yeah. but honestly, honestly speaking, I think it was a really good breaking lines kind of pass from oh, yeah. Thiago to Joshua Kimmich who went on. I think then he he had one two exchanges before Thomas Muller. So was it Joshua Kimmich itself? I think or was it Thomas Muller who? Uh, I think it was Joshua Kimmich who actually. Actually, put in a really good ball over the top, and yeah, Thilo Thilo Kehr got yeah. completely owned there. I think that that's also another tactic which Bayern used. I mean, they tried that in the first half as well, and they actually put in some balls in the box in the first half. It it was a similar approach where the the wingers actually kind of came inside into the half spaces, and they kind of tried to fake in runs inside so that Lewandowski would get the ball. and if it if the ball went to full back they they actually had more people in the box i think around six people in the box where yeah. they had a better chance there so i mean it was a similar case where and thiro kerer actually got caught coman had a free header and he scored it, it was a moment of brilliance from bayern munich and that's what you get from teams like this yeah it was a fantastic goal it was a fantastic goal and i know people will always say, will look at it and just look at the header And go all right. Well, it's it's kind of a simple goal. It's not like you said. The 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 goal starts with Thiago. I mean, he he played a pass that's took I think basically four game four PSG plays out of the game. What if you can play a pass like that and break the lines and take a number of players and make a num a certain number of players have to turn and run back? You you're gonna create an opportunity because there's gonna be space created somewhere with a clever play. It was Kimmich that uh, who actually got the assist with uh, the final cross, but that pass from Thomas Muller to get the, the awareness that he shows—he's actually running the other way, and then he just lays it off perfectly. Again, there's very few players who are in world football who, at that point in a Champions League final, would one have the awareness, but two have the unselfishness to actually pay that play that pass to Kimmich, and then can you remember? We mentioned it in the last in, in the last podcast when we we were talking about Bayern's tactical play and how they build up predominantly down the right and then they look to switch to play because they they provide the over, a two v one situation on the left hand side. I mean, obviously this way in a switch of play, this was a cross, but essentially because they built up on the right hand side and the movement that they make, they leave a two on one situation at the back and Coleman, uh, Kingsley Coleman comes in as all, almost a second striker really as like. And uh, the PSG defender can't do it because he, he thinks the ball could go to Lewandowski, or he, he gets caught between the two. So it, it's fantastic play, and it, 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 that's that sort of that passage of play is not lucky. It's not just happen like that. That is what Bayern Munich do, like we've mentioned on the side uh, on the last show. Sorry. Yeah, hundred percent there. And I, I mean, I saw a tweet from someone. I don't uh, recall exactly who it was, but there was a tweet on Thomas Muller uh, saying that. Thomas Muller might be the best. Thomas Muller might be the world's best graceless footballer. I mean, <laughs> there's like there's no when you see Thomas Muller play, it's not it's not a flair that you see from technical players or someone. But he's technical. I I would say he's technical because, or I I would moreover say that he's intelligent than most footballers. That that's probably the right. Yeah. Thing, I guess. Yeah. That it, it, it's football intelligence at its highest. Yeah. And you can't get anywhere. You can't play at that level without a football brain. And if you've got a football brain, you'll play at the highest level. Um, exactly. But again, like it, it's such an oddity in football because 
he's not really a player that you can play out wide. He's not good one v one. He's not he's not going to run at you and take you on. He's not going to cause the defender issue. But when he's on the ball, it's just his movements around around the box. I mean, Thomas Demol is probably the sort of player who can who can play in a game for Bayern Munich and not touch the ball in any build-up to any goal, but create the goal directly by his running. There's not many players that would do that and, and can do that. He's uh, he's quite a unique player. And I think that was probably part of the problem what Nico Kovac had when he was Bayern Munich, but was actually fitting a player, that type of player, into his team. He doesn't really affect the game when he's on the ball. doesn't really defend. He presses well, but he, he's not really someone you can put in a cent- inside centre midfield. But he, he affects the game so much. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, again, it'll be it'll be it'll be such it'll be so hard to replace one if that day comes when he retires, Thomas Muller. That I, I, because I, you can't coach that type of player. I don't think I don't think you could create another player. I don't know if you agree. If you you couldn't get a 15 year old or a 10 year old and then create that type of player or coach that type of player, everything everything he is is his football and IQ. You've either got that or you haven't. And there's not many people that will ever have that. There's only exactly. a very select few. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's definitely a unique player. And I think, I, I definitely think it's going to be really hard for Bayern Munich to replace such a profile or, or probably for us, uh, especially the football fans, to see such a profile come in again in the world of football, especially in the modern era where, where the players are kind of playing in a different style at, uh, altogether. But, yeah. I mean, before ending the podcast, there's one final point. If you look at the way Bayern defended, I think it was Michael Cox of, of The Athletic who posted this four images where four images from four different places after Bayern took the lead. They, they actually were still high up the pitch. It was not like yeah. a team who sat back and kind of defended. And even in the 89th minute, it was Robert Lewandowski, Thomas Muller pressing the hell out of PSG midfield. And yeah. it, Nicholas Sewell, David Alaba up front. It was like, I mean, it, it was pretty, un, it is like pretty unusual from a team who, who's leading by a, just a single goal in the Champions League final. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah. Fair, fair play to them for keeping that. It's a fair, fair you got to give credit to Hansi Flick. I mean, the whole world... We're saying, all oh, right, he's got to change his approach. Neymar and Mbappe are going to take advantage of the high line. Didn't did, uh, didn't change his approach. I mean, don't get me wrong, there probably would have been times in the second half if you actually pause play where the, the defenders might have been maybe 10 yards further back at that point. And it paid off full confidence. So obviously, it always helps when you've got a goalkeeper of no standards behind 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 the uh, behind that defensive line but no full credit to Andy Flick yeah 100% percent yeah. agree with you there because can, can I can I just ask Rifrick sorry though before yeah, yeah. before we come to an end before we come to the end what did you think on the penalty shot uh, a tough call I mean I've seen it go actually either way uh, I, I think it could have been given I think it could have been given because the Hoshokimich didn't get the ball he didn't get the ball yeah. at all. So I, I definitely think it should have been given. And it should have been given, in my opinion, probably. Because I've seen a lot of penalties given away like that. The VAR, I guess, didn't even have a check. And I don't see a lot of people talking about that either. 
Yeah. Well, I thought I thought Lewandowski was a, more of a clear penalty than Mbappe's. I thought uh-huh. Bayern Munich should have had a more yeah more of a penalty. I think it was just that I'm not sure who was it. I think it might have been Mbappe that does it. Just it was after the Mbappe incidents. He comes in and he oh, was it. It might I, I might be mistaken with the the Kimba, the Kimbappe shout, but it was more of a clear penalty. But then I thought. I agree with you. I thought Mbappe's was a penalty as well. Don't think it was as clear as what people were saying it was because from the referee's view or referee's angle, I don't think he could have seen Kimmich's foot hit Mbappe's. Yeah. So, again, I suppose the VAR was you can't you can't overrule unless it's clear and obvious, isn't it? But I suppose we're all mixed up with VAR these days and what it actually is supposed to do. But yeah, I thought the Bayern Munich one. Yeah, I thought Bayern Munich more should have had more of a, a, a more of a claim for a penalty anyway. Yeah, probably. Yeah, arguably yes, arguably yes. Yeah. So yeah, that probably brings us to the end of this episode. No Patreon questions today because we haven't put out a post because this was an emergency podcast. We will be recording a separate Patreon only or a Patreon special podcast where. We actually take in questions from the patron on a specific topic and we'll be putting out the episode, the patron special podcast, probably at the end of this week or at the beginning of next week. So it's been a pleasure, Chris, once again. And I, I, I mean, we, we spoke before this podcast as well. I, I know yeah, you've enjoyed the last two games. It's probably a little bit longer break now. Yeah, the league starts on September the 12th, the Premier League. And we have the Community Shield this upcoming week as well. The Women's Champions League is also going on. And yeah, there, there are certain fixtures which we can enjoy, but still probably it might just feel like a break anyway because of yeah. because of the because of the way the fixtures were packed in the last couple of months. Yeah. I don't know if it was just the timing of it, but I'm actually gutted now. The Champions League's finished. <laughs> yeah. I don't know whether yeah. I just I think I, I think even the Europa League as well. I just think every game has been entertaining and so intriguing. And there's again the the upsets. It hasn't all been straightforward in terms of the in terms of the elite teams winning as well. So I think I think it's been fantastic having them at this time of year and having them in the format that it's been at. I know it's not going to stay like that, but I certainly I certainly think the Europa League should should try the best to change the format of their competition. Yeah, exactly. And and even if they change the format of the competition, a certain team from Merseyside might never still win it. Someone in blue. <laughs> yeah, I don't think. Uh, yeah, yeah, we've got. Yeah, we've just got to concentrate <laughs> on finishing the top half of the Premier League at the minute. Just <laughs> so yeah, they're not my yeah. favourite subject at the moment. Put it that way. <laughs> It's it's, it's it's a it's a separate subject and a separate topic. Yeah, yeah. It's just, oh yeah. God, it's a separate show. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, that brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you so much to all our listeners again for tuning in. And if you like our content once again, do subscribe to us on Patreon, where you will get a lot of benefits as well. So thank you once again. Until the next episode, take care and bye bye.